1: To get a 40% discount across their entire batch-tested range, use the code RENEGADE40 at www.onacademy.co.uk forward slash ElitePortal. And of course, members of the Rugby Renegade online subscription programme get an exclusive 50% discount plus free access to the Optimum Nutrition online nutrition course. Hello and welcome back to episode 75 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I get to interview Charlie Weingroth, uh, creator of Training Equals Rehab and uh a strength conditioning coach and a therapist um, with great knowledge in, in both regards and it's really great to talk about his philosophy of training equals rehab um, and talk about the environment he's been in, and basketball and other things um, so tons of information whether you're looking at, at rehab or just improving performance um, and certainly Charlie's one of those people who really combines the two so well so um, give it a listen and let us know what you think Hi Charlie, welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast it's great to have you on uh, why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about your background how you got into this line of business and um you know who you've worked with and and what you're currently doing
0: line of business what's uh what what is uh uh, a lot of folks uh a lot of folks don't don't even know that uh some people think i'm just a strength coach or a fitness guy and then other they don't know that i've been a physical therapist for 20 some years uh and then the opposite a lot of folks only know me as a therapist and and uh, they don't—they're not aware that. Uh,
1: so well, that's um, that's interesting because I guess it, I, it, I know you as both really from from what I've seen. You're one of those people who does really well of combining strength coach and the kind of rehab stuff, and that's that's I guess what we want to get into, really.
0: Yeah. Um. So I guess. Well, first off, I was always into training when I was little. Um. I I, I didn't suck at sports, but I felt that um, I I getting into lifting weights was something I both enjoyed and I figured it would make me better at my sport. So, uh, that was always the, and when I, when I got to college, um, I, uh, and I met my advisor for, uh, I was, I was there for, uh, athletic training, which I don't know, like, I know we have it in America, uh, and, and Canada has what's called an athletic therapist, which, it's not really a physical therapist, but it, it's like maybe a physical therapist only for the athletic populations. But other countries, I don't think they have this this uh, this job per se. They're, they're like physios or, or people that have the same skill set. They just don't have the name. So I was I didn't go to college with with it set in my mind to be a physical therapist. I went to college set to to become an athletic trainer and probably you know move on to education teaching uh, maybe PhD. And uh, when I met my advisor, she's like, your grades are too good. You should just go to physical therapy school. And if you never become a physical therapist, you'll just be uh, more marketable as an athletic trainer. So that's what I did. And that's what happened. I, I probably for the first several years of my career, I had just used my degree as a physical therapist to, to be more marketable and get, get better jobs and, and it's absolutely how, how it worked out. So I'd say for the first several years of my career I was just an athletic trainer. I was neither a physical therapist or a strength and conditioning coach. But I was always into into training and during mm, around that period of time I was always into lifting, but I didn't get into competitive powerlifting towards the end of that little time frame. And so I obviously looked some kind of way. Uh, I'm like a walking fire hydrant. So uh, uh, I don't know what it is in meters, but like I'm, I'm five foot nothing. And, you know, you, right now I'm light. So I'm like in the low 190s. But um, when, when I was in the, uh, my second stint in the NBA, um, there was no sh- strength coach with the 76ers. Um, uh, I was the assistant athletic trainer. And the guys would probably because how I looked, they were like, "You're yeah, Wagon, Come here. Let me get a workout because I look like I knew how to handle a pair of dumbbells." And uh, because I knew, I, I didn't know anything about. Well, I didn't. It wasn't like I was completely ignorant, but I was not competent uh, to be a resource in athletic development uh, at that level. Uh, I knew how to lift weights, and I was a comp- you know competitive powerlifter. Uh, neither of which should be at all credible you know, to to uh nba athletes but uh, but but what's really probably the case uh at, at that level for a number of reasons the strength and conditioning coach is not an a- athletic development person it's really just some it's it's more of a recovery uh um, role where obviously using resistance training to create resiliency and some recovery but it's really you're you're not really getting after it we're not we're not developing uh guys and getting them bigger, faster, stronger. They're already bigger, faster, strong as they're going to be. And given that, uh, the, whatever year I transitioned to the head strength coach, then I dug into some, you know, some basic, yo, know, okay, I better step up. I need to know something. I need to come up with a philosophy. I need to start to believe some things. And I had already been exposed to some things that, really were the, because of the environment, it was really the uh, types of physical therapy models that kind of still gave you guidance, even if there was not an injury, where there was this movement-based model and the the names that I was studying and following at that time was Sarman, Shirley Sarman, who's now uh, a terribly archaic uh, physical therapist And Vladimir Yanda, who's passed away and and the model out of Czech um, has spawned a lot of other models that have great, great utility. So that kind of led me, oh, people would be like, you're into Yanda? You have to check out so-and-so. You have to look at this. And these people were kind of the more patriarchs to me in terms of probably being more identified in the performance world but were trained healthcare professionals, whether they were physical therapists or athletic trainers. And that's kind of where this whole blending of therapy and, and performance uh, started uh, for me. And it's, it's very flattering because a lot of people that I look up to or people that I'm, I, I highly respect what they do, they, they will associate me with a, a significant shift in performance. Uh, but the reality is is there's a significant period of my 12-month year or even parts of the week, t- depending on what I'm doing, where all I do is what most people would consider physical therapy. Now, how I practice, what I believe, even what methods, but I'm seeing people that are post-surgical. I'm seeing people with significant pain. Uh, I, I do not exclusively see high-level, what people would think, oh, he only deals with athletes. He only deals with high – no, I deal with people – that believe I can help them. And then there's other, there's other, uh, other times that I, I am exclusively dealing with like, I don't do anything medical. I I don't do anything therapy wise. Um, for instance, in Canada basketball, men's Canada basketball, where I'm the director of physical performance. Sometimes I'm like the number four medical and uh, we have other people that are incre- extremely, extremely talented, um, but but I'm I run the fitness and I run the monitoring and and uh, load management. So now it doesn't mean I'll never do anything uh, in terms of what what people think a therapist would do. But the thing that I that I think how I really got into this and how I'm forged forging ahead is. I, I'm neither. Like, I don't, I'm not a physical therapist or a strength coach. It's just one, it's one thing. And, and I, quite frankly, I don't know too many people. People like to think that they do certain things. And, uh, there's a lot of physical therapists that know about, you know, fitness. And there's a lot of fitness people that uh, are very competent. And they, I, I don't know, I've never met anybody that actually, um, ha- like if, if you really dig in and you start talking and after two hours, you realize, yeah, this person doesn't really think the same way. Um, they might have a lot of the same methods. They might think they follow what I think, but there's um, sometimes it's it's really hard to explain. And and I hope it doesn't come off condescending, because it, it's just a it's just a way of thinking where there there's no there is no rehab, there is no training. It's just analyze the situation do you have a technique or a method or an approach that can remediate or improve that situation? No, go find someone else that does. So it, it's really all it is. It, it, there is no, uh, uh, there's no, uh, uh, I, uh, I, I was talking to a, bu- a publisher recently who wanted me to, uh, engage in, in writing a book about this type, this very topic, like how did I get here and et cetera. And, and they're like, bridge the gap. God, that say bridge the gap that that i would hopefully never ever in my life ever have to associate with uh, again um these are people that I, uh, it, there is no gap like there's no gap like no i'm not writing a book if it says bridge the gap i'm not doing this um anybody who says bridge the gap head for the hills like they have nothing of value these are horrible human beings blah 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 and uh you know, and, and i don't and look that's my opinion i mean this is yeah because 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 you know for one they're they're glomming You know the this topic. You know, like they're not writing that book or using that method. uh, If they, you know, had not been exposed to things that I was talking about, it'd be nice to 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 get a thanks. You know, every once in a while from these slime balls. But uh, so, but but there's no gap. Like there's no there's no handoff from a therapist to a coach. It's just one big group of people that work together and no one person has all the skills to answer all the questions, but everybody can ask more questions. And when you ask more questions, you ask more of the right questions. You ask more of the right questions, you get more of the right solutions. And that's really how I think. So, um, I don't know if that's, uh, Exactly what you expected me to say, but uh, no, I, um, I don't know if it was, but
1: I think I think where you finished there was was probably the, the key point. It's it's about finding solutions for, for your athletes yeah. or, or your patients, and yeah, um, yeah. and and it doesn't matter where you get that from, whether it's a physical therapy route or or SNC. You know, we've got to find solutions, and in I guess in team sport environments, like you say, where you've got four or five in a department, you can you know refer to someone who might be better, or you know easy suited to that um whereas you've got the advantage you've got a very good understanding of both um and can can almost pick and choose what you do in in your environment which is really good Um, so just just moving on from that and you've, you've touched on a few things already but um from from my um sort of knowledge of what i've been exposing your stuff online is I know about your philosophy of training equals rehab. Uh, can you kind of um, talk about that? You've kind of touched on it already, but kind of go in go into that philosophy a bit more, please.
0: That uh, uh yeah, I I think it's probably if I wind up repeating myself, it, it, it's really um, uh, what we had discussed before. Where that that was the title of, of my first DVD, and and for a long time I stayed out of. Um, when the, those windows opened, maybe golly, fifteen years ago, uh, in the internet, and there was probably you know these windows were like wide open, and if you uh, you had an opportunity to really do some cool things uh, and 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 make some make money on it, it was really that that was a big thing. And, like people would always say, like Charlie, there's very few people that get to have something like organic message and make money on it. So Train Eagles Rehab was the name of the first DVD. And it was just you know, what I thought of, of what I wanted to get across because that, that, those words came from uh, a seminar series that I was doing for, for a gym, um, one of the very, very high-end brands in, in America. Well, they're in other places too. It's called Equinox and it's very, very highbrow. Uh, and they had started to develop. They took like their most experienced trainers and they kind of created tears and and in order to be at this tier, the highest level, they, they needed um, to be able to go through a series of, of courses. And my course was one that was supposed to, uh, quote unquote, bridge the gap. Uh, <laughs> of, uh, hey, look, because I'm the one that, I'm the first one said it and that's uh and now I, I want nothing to do with it because <laughs> oh, it's such it makes me so that's it it's like a trigger like like there's uh these psychological is you say bridge the gap you will flip a switch and i'll go uh i'll go incredible hulk because uh, uh but um it was it was how do you get personal trainers to work with physical therapists because you know they were they were trying to answer the 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 call not necessarily a question but they were trying to solve the problem of when people were working with physical therapists well, or people that came in that really did not have a complete slate to really be working on fitness. And, and that doesn't mean you can't work on fitness. So I tried to be able to develop a, 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 a seminar that showed trainers what they could do to work with a physical therapist or what they could do if they didn't have a physical therapist what would be the smaller percentage or the smaller catalog of things that they can do. And it could just be so simple, illustrating that if your shoulder hurts, just work on the other shoulder, your trunk and body. And wrong with doing that, but people don't really do that. Um, and, and it was really meant to put the trainer and the therapist and the doctor much closer to an even playing field where, Nobody is in charge, like nobody is above anybody else. There are certain things that this person handles, but that doesn't mean they're going to control all the other things of which they have very little to no expertise. So it was really a division of labor, and that was where the first DVD uh, uh, started. And it's not so much about DVD, the concept was that if when you strip it all back, if if you don't use the words training or rehab, because those words, they have high levels of association. So if it's rehab, that means this person's injured, they need to be with a, a therapist, they need to see a doctor, et cetera. And, and, if, you, and if you use the word training, uh, this is usually this fitness environment. Obviously training can mean a lot of other things outside of, of, of human performance. But I said, if we, if we take those words away, because they have high levels of mental association, And if we just say that we are going to uh, look at qualities of the body, uh, you are either going to restore them to normal or you're going to improve them from normal. Like, would that be better? Because now, if you say restoration and improvement of human qualities, this is no longer forcing you to think of this quality can only be. Uh, applied methods for, from, from this person. Now, the person's education, their expertise, their skill set, are co- it's going to come out. You're going to wind up getting to the right person because it wasn't just the restoration or improvement. You had to find what the standard was. You had to find what the normal was, which was then this incredible value for a keen evaluation process. So if you evaluate and if somebody, whatever the quality is, if if it's beneath what's normal, well then that's a rehab process. That's a re- that's a restoration or a recovery process. Uh, if if they had it and there was a reason for it to get better, so like strength, uh, there's probably you know a, a rationale to say that there's no way uh, anyone can not get stronger. Then that's a training process. That's an improvement process. And you try to change the words a little bit with some linguistics that would allow. Uh, this process to allow for teamwork uh, because we were trying to figure out, okay, like how can the trainer ethically and and responsibly, but also effectively be a part of this? Because the reality is, is the humoral and hormonal effects of a keen fitness process is going to make that shoulder feel better, even if the therapist is, is a total goofball. Um, and I don't think a lot of therapists know that. I don't think they're it's not in their education to to understand how training can can affect sensitivity, how it can affect the healing process, et cetera, et cetera. And then vice versa, uh, that ther- the, the trainer probably doesn't know uh, the special tests to create a keen diagnosis of that shoulder or the manual therapy techniques uh, or or. If you do something that doesn't quite go right, do you know what to do next? And that's a big thing, too. So those are now those particular situations start to create a very sensible and very scientific division of labor. And maybe that's now. Uh, there's a lot of other ways that um, that are more clinical that that uh, embody train equals rehab over the years, because that that seminar series started in 2009. And we're obviously several years past that, but uh, that were it just became it just became the name of my brand and uh, future products or you know like that's kind of how people uh, identify like what you're asking like that's that's my thing that's like the name of my model, but it's not a it's it's not a thing it's just a way of thinking it's not a yeah. I don't have a I don't have a tool I don't have a method it is just a way of thinking and and bringing people together
1: yeah no it's, it's interesting i've often talked about how snc's <clears throat> and, and physical therapists need to have um you know an, an understanding of each other but also it's interesting you talk about linguistics because you know often we learn in completely separate environments and then we come together and, and we're you know using different um different buzzwords and um you know all, all these different technicality technical points and kind of you know the the miscommunications there. Whereas, like you say, if if you can get to an understanding between the both of you, and and like and then balance the workload and, and make sure you can keep training through it, um, you can you can get a lot out of that. Now, you you mentioned um evaluation and diagnosis a couple of times. Now, what, what are your thoughts on on movement screening and and what are your approaches to that with your with your athletes? So so
0: move, movements. So a screen, by definition, would be um, in in the medical world is you're looking for something that'll lead to something much much worse, like uh, some kind of biomarker, or some kind of indicator. Um, that's very legitimate. Um, I think, unfortunately, the word "screen" has, like, linguistically, has, has created an association with a lot of things that people don't understand. Um, I would just say, yeah, I mean, to answer the question, you know, directly. Like I don't know how people don't movement screen. I, I don't know how uh, you to do something to determine if the you know how, what what is movement. Movement is a series of joints uh, engaging in a particular fashion for a particular purpose. Well, that all sounds like training. So uh, I, I to to not have an, uh, some kind of awareness. Of what joints are capable of doing before you load up these joints, to me is, you know, fairly asinine. Now, um, I think that you know that because of the the commercial power of the word "screen" or the words "movement screen" uh, and what people think that that uh, it means, then it, it probably doesn't always jive. But bottom line, um, evaluating movement is probably 25% of uh, a complete uh, evaluation process. Uh, I do think of the 25%, it comes first. That doesn't mean it's more important than the other three, uh, but it does have to come first because if your joints can't get into the right positions to absorb and adapt to stress, then at best you're going to have a mitigated result uh, or at worst you can have a, a significant problem. So if you look at that or like, you know, there's a, there's a famous coach, his name is not, not important, uh, who really has a lot of very distasteful things to, to some of the models that, that I use. And, and I would, and I, and I didn't say this to him. It was like another podcast at some point, my like, coach. So do you think it's a good idea before you ask so-and-so to sprint? Do you think it's a good idea that his ankles, knees, hips, and his shoulders can actually get into the positions when you look at him and say that is good sprinting for him you think that'd be a good idea to do that before you sprint he goes yeah of course i said all right old man see you later because you know he just basically agreed with what movement screening is yet he was always very very vocal in in describing because he looked at it and interpreted it more than what it is so movement screening and movement evaluation is to determine can joints get into the right positions to absorb and adapt to stress? And if they can, well, the only way to know if they can or can't is to know what you're going to do next. Uh, I cannot comment on any, any uh, data that a movement screen or movement evaluation generates until you tell me for what. Uh, like, you can't, I, I can't tell you if your joints can get into the right positions to absorb and adapt to stress until you tell me how you plan to stress that system so maybe that's a uh, a little bit of a of a bridge to appreciating what that data of a, of, a, of a movement screen or a movement evaluation can tell you in my mind that's obligatory uh, but it is not the only level of evaluation that is mandatory in my mind it just comes first
1: yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. You've got to, it, like most of these, um, you know, uh, discussions on, on this topic, it's got to be specific to your environment and what your athletes have got to perform. Uh, and I think also you, you kind of touched on it that it's got to be an ongoing process as well. It's um, as as the training develops and as what they're capable of doing. Um, so yeah, interesting points, similar to what I thought you might have put. Now this this next question is when we ask all the all the guests and uh, we we talk about rugby players, obviously, because that's our. That's the athletes we work with, but you can relate this to anything you see with you know any clients or just clients in general with your basketball players as well. And it's what what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning?
0: All right. So obviously, I don't I don't know enough about rugby to, to comment on, on rugby. Uh, I did I did just see one of your boys. He's in the NFL, uh, but uh, obviously he's a he's a tight end. Apart, uh a big island looking dude uh, about 67 350 360 uh so so if, if it's um oh man what's the biggest mistake so probably um hmm maybe maybe we'll run with uh 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 not not appreciating that the, the goal is to uh, improve some other aspect, not necessarily improve how we measure things in the weight room. And, and maybe uh, uh, you know, it, it's, the mistake is, I don't care what you actually do in the weight room. And if I could figure out a way for you to do less in the weight room, uh, so that you can have more biological resources to improve your technical skills and or perform on game day that if, if if we understood that it would put so much more into perspective. I think that's a mistake to think that you always have to, you know, deliver this progressively improving product in the weight room. Um, I think that's a major mistake. Uh, And I think there's a lot of evidence that shows that not necessarily being a punk, uh, but sometimes not a, feeling like you work as hard will actually improve you uh, significantly more than, than this perception of hard work and getting after it and busting your ass and, and, and breaking PRs and, and constantly uh, being in a, in a state of, of uh, disarray and state of recovery uh, because we're conditioned to think that, well, that's the only way I can get better. And, and I would suggest that that's a, a big mistake.
1: Yeah, and it is something we see a lot it's you know athletes need to understand it's a means to an end isn't it which is ultimately improving performance in, in sport um, yeah it doesn't matter what you lift in the gym if you're if you're not winning games um, and you, you touched on or you, you mentioned the term biological reserve I think it'd be interesting if you could um, kind of expand on that a bit more because again I think a lot of athletes wouldn't wouldn't appreciate you know the in terms of stresses and things like that why it's important oh,
0: yeah well, well, I think uh, a way to distill that is to suggest that anything that we do as a human all comes out of the same bank account, if you will, the same biological bank account. Yeah. So uh, in, over the course of a, of a day of a professional athlete, maybe there's, there's a, a, a weight room session um, or some type of fitness session, whether it's in the weight room or, or some kind of, you know, something on the field or on the pitch. Uh, uh, there's, there's film you know, which is a significant uh, mental process. Uh, There's the actual technical practice. Um, There's there's and then there's all the other things that don't happen within that workday. And all of those other stressors, whether they're positive or well, all stress, I don't consider a positive or negative. I consider the 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 adaptation to be um, potentially desirable or undesirable. But ultimately, all, all the things that your body has to integrate and adapt, all comes out of the same biological bag, if you will. And those those uh, the things that are in that bag, you know, don't. It's not like you're using a different bag for when you are sitting in film for three hours uh, versus if you're uh, doing, you know repeat fifties, you know, on, on the field. The, the, of course, different, different, uh, activities are going to rely on specifically different, um, microbiology and, and chemistry, et cetera, but they all track back, uh, to, to the same system where the body will always rob Peter to pay Paul and biological resources, it's not even necessary in my mind to know exactly what they are, but it is necessary to appreciate that you don't get to pick, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what, what, and when you, when you use energy or, or focus or whatever whatever word, it all comes, it all comes out of the same bank account. You um, in a, in a, in, a, in a MMA is very, very common to, to use that as an illustration because there's so many different technical periods throughout the work week where these guys need to learn how to box. They need to learn jujitsu. They need to learn wrestling. They need to learn Muay Thai. Uh, there could be another four. And to think that energy that they use for wrestling is different than the energy they use in the weight room is, is asinine. Uh, well, they're they're not the same energy systems you're doing. I'm like, dude, it's all the same, you know, you, you bury the person in one and then, uh, you'll find that your output is mitigated in another. And, and it continues to track that if you're constantly under-recovered, then other systems of the body, even if they're not devoted to uh, athletic performance, uh, will then also become somehow uh, challenged, um, meaning health can, can then become. And I, well, what does that mean? Well, I think most people would understand that if you train too much, sometimes you get a cold. And training uh, of all different types is ultimately coded as an immune response. And we are, we are bombarded. This is an interesting commentary uh, given what we're dealing with in the world right now. But we're always bombarded with stressors that activate our immune response. And there's all different types of, of uh, immune responses and, and different types of cells that hopefully we have abundance of so that these stressors do not really matter to us. And if they do matter, the consequences are not significant. But if you're training, and, and uh, if you're constantly tra- uh, overtraining or under-recovering, then you're going to be using, uh, in that case, probably uh, cytotoxic T cells. Those are the, the immune cells that typically respond To something that the body has never experienced before, and that's how training is illustrated. I'm not talking as a scientist. I'm talking, you know, on a on a podcast, and 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 the training is like an illness that the body has never gotten before. So the it's the T cells that are the ones that begin that immune response. And if if you use up a whole bunch of T cells because you train like a doofus and you don't believe that that everything comes out of the same bag, well, then there could be some other uh, stressor that usually would just bounce off you, and now it actually creates a histamine response. Uh, your nose is running, your sore is throat, and you're, you're, you're sick for a little bit. It wasn't because you caught this uh, amazingly unique virus or, or, or bacteria or, or somebody sneezed on you. That, that's not why it was, because you, sometimes when that person sneezes on you, is no big deal. Um, it's why you're perhaps more susceptible to some of these illnesses when you don't sleep as much. Well, you're not sleeping as much. So you didn't. No one sneezed on you, but we do. But people would agree with that. They would say, "Yeah, you, you get sick a little bit if you don't sleep well. You get sick, you know, if you train too much." Well, that's that's because everything comes out of the same bag. Everything comes out of the same bag of biological resources.
1: Yeah, I really like that. I like the uh the bank account analogy. I'm sure that's a good way to kind of explain to athletes. Um and uh yeah, I, I often use the, like adaptive reserves. You know, that when athletes are maybe trying to do too much of different things, you know, you can only adapt to a certain amount of of um competing physical qualities. Um and I'm glad you mentioned uh mixed martial arts there about the you know, the the difficulty of you know different physical qualities they've got to train for different techniques and and fighting styles because I often say that rugby is one of the the hardest. Um sports are programmed for because of because of the different physical qualities because the differences in positions and, and the different technical mm-hmm. tactical approaches but you're probably right mixed martial arts is probably a bit harder than that I'd say um, but while we're on that and you, and you talked about overtraining and things like that and you, and you said your role uh, in basketball is uh, a lot of the monitoring stuff um, would, would you be able to expand a bit on that and I'd be interested I know I guess maybe it's different at international level but I know like NBA the, the number of games they go through is, is crazy so I'd be interested see how you deal with the monitoring?
0: Uh, the games are obviously different, uh, and, and international basketball changed a few years ago where there, it's kind of like uh, global football where it's now multiple times per year. The difference is the most important leagues uh, where professional basketball players play, they don't shut down, whereas the major global football uh, soccer leagues in, in, the, in the world shut down when the national teams play. So there's times that, there, you know, those windows usually are only two games. Not usually, they are two games. It's sometimes it's like a Thursday, Sunday, Friday, Monday, but so, but sometimes there could be, you know, 36 hours of travel. The Sunday or, or Monday game, uh, which is a very, very significant difference. Uh, uh, demand on those biological resources. Um and then when you have the tournaments, yeah, you know, you're your you're basically your competitive competitive season can be anywhere from five to you know six, seven weeks. And there could be a lot of practices, there could be friendly games, there could be back to backs. Uh I think when we had our historic run in two thousand fifteen where we wound up losing, uh sometimes Goliath does lose. Uh uh, I think we had I think we played nine games in ten days, uh, and uh, which I'm pretty sure in the NBA no one no one does that. Mm-hmm. so it's uh, you know now, as far as monitoring, uh, it's really you know, the you, the the questions you know seem like you know, i'm i'm trying I'm not really trying to do this, but it seems like it's weaving you know a little bit of a philosophical story because. Biological resources is like we, we answered that question from like a blue sky, you know, just theory. But there's ways that we believe and others believe that you can actually, you know, indirectly measure those things. You could you could actually directly measure them, but you'd probably have to be uh, doing echocardiograms and, and, and biopsies of tissue, which is ludicrous to do during a competitive season. But there's some other ways that you can try to, uh, create positions like you'll never know for sure but you create a position and, and you kind of create a stance on what, the, what data you think is important what data you believe in and what do you need to see in terms of that data for you to uh, as a performance staff and then secondly in conjunction with the technical staff uh, make a decision and make a statement like I think this is what's going to happen why because this this and this and now we're going to make a decision based on that statement. Uh, no, no differently how technical coaches like, well, we believe that they're going to make us go left when we try to run this play. So we're going to try to do this instead. That's the decision. So um, when it comes to monitoring, it's, uh, we have different ways, different te- some, some are tech- technology, some are very subjective based. Uh, we, we are very keen at uh, following, you know, some of our, some of our mentors that uh, our staff has uh, has been exposed to, uh, and uh, you know we we don't follow every we don't have like nine million pieces of technology, but uh, we do have some, and uh, we 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 try to you know cluster all this different information. where never no one set of data is going to create that that statement, but If you look at this with this, with this and this together, and you can start to do that for a few years and and go back and see where the data was correct and see where it was wrong, you know, see where it was sensitive and see where it was specific. This is very, very impossible to to actually study in an an authentic level of research, uh, but it can be heuristically studied. And that's where we're at with our with our plans that we like to follow for uh, for monitoring
1: no it's interesting a very kind of honest uh of it i guess and and admitting that you need you need a lot of information and, and different measures and and it's still just a kind of informed guess probably the wrong word but you know you've you've got a there's a kind of art to it i guess what i'm trying to say um well so you
0: know, not not only is that is that uh correct and and it's about making statements. You got to believe in something like people, you know, you could argue that nobody believes, like, what do you believe in? Like, if I go up to you and say, what do you believe? You know, you should be able to, to say, you know, I believe in this. Uh, you know, cause if you don't believe in anything, then you're probably a lot closer to being a punk. But 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 now you take all the things I just said and then the challenge and the quagmire is amplified when we're talking about team sports. Because every player is going to be under this different uh, appraisal of their biological resources on any given day. And they're going up against, against a whole bunch of other guys who are trying to get you to do something that, that, that you don't want to do. Uh, so it, 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 utilizing data in a, in a team setting uh, of an open-loop sport is significantly uh, adds to the challenge, and you, you you definitely need to have a lot of it. You need to kind of let the data go by right? and before you create these these statements, uh, and and then all of a sudden, like man, like I wish I knew this yesterday, but you can't. You didn't know it yesterday, so you kind of have to let it go by, and. Um, uh, you have to believe in certain things because there's there's technology that that we use that a lot of a lot of people would say is shit. Um, OK, well, that's OK. Like you're you don't have to do what I do, um, because I would also say that for certain technologies, um, you know, maybe we understand it differently, uh, which really means we means we understand it better. <laughs> um, but but we, but we don't use it by itself. We, we use it in conjunction with other things that that person would probably have a high level of favor with. So, because some, some of the technologies, without a doubt, are black box, you know, meaning you don't know exactly how this information is being distilled. But just like movement screens, you know, the black box technologies are, you know, the, the hardest to appreciate because they don't always tell you exactly what to do. They just guide you and they give you this risk, you know, some, some level of risk analysis. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't do it. so if you have a movement screen that's very, very poor, and your joints can't get into the right positions to absorb adaptive stress. That doesn't mean don't go ahead with what you want to do. It means this is what will probably happen. this is what'll you know this is what I think will happen. So now when we use these analysis that are black box uh, of of biological instead of movement, it's the same thing. It's like well i I've seen people do really, really well, but they have all this data that says that it's a a red. I'm like, okay, well, first of all, before you jump down that that rabbit hole, let me look at it and perhaps I can explain it differently than you. And that's a horrible situation. Not only do I need to explain myself, I also need to explain why they were wrong, which is a very, very difficult process. Sometimes I'm pretty good at explaining to other people that I'm right, but I'm really not very, very good at explaining to other people why they're wrong. I said, but but ultimately, you're it's not like you're not a nothing is ever ever a red like nothing is ever green everything is blinking yellow there's risk to everything um and and when you find useful data you can then maybe take a more sensitive approach to to what is your risk analysis
1: yeah all, all very good points now looking purely in a kind of rehab setting um it, it's something i see a lot on it it's interesting to see how different people deal with it and it's when you've got a, an athlete with a like a bilateral muscle or strength imbalance so difference between left and right whether it's from a you know returning from an injury or um a, a kind of chronic um uh, injury or um adaptation um how what's you, what's your approach or the best way of um sort of getting rid of that imbalance
0: um well i think i think sometimes that 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 imbalance needs to be put
1: into
0: as much perspective as possible uh so we have to take a look at, okay, how did you get this imbalance? Uh, I'm sorry, now, how did, you, how did you learn about this imbalance? Because that had to have been a movement. Uh, and, and okay, so you picked that. But whatever that movement is, we need to be uh, analyze that movement in as many different ways as possible. Because a lot of times, when it comes to uh, these particularly lower body imbalances, It's usually analyzed, number one, in a vertical position. So you're squatting, uh, you're deadlifting, you're looking at at force plate information or pressure-sensitive plates that, that are giving you very, very valid information. Except here's the thing. There's a significant amount of joints that are involved when we're vertical. Not only do you have to stabilize the spine in a particular way, which creates an entire world of discussion. You have hips, you have knees, you have you have ankles, you have toes. Uh, so if, if, let's say to, just to make it easy, if it's a squat and you have this difference of right versus left that you believe because you're not a punk. Like, no, I think I think this is a problem. And if we do this next, I think he's going to get injured again. But let's look at that pattern of squatting in as many different positions as possible. So if we look at it standing, we've got to figure out a way to look at squatting in a kneeling position. So maybe we can just get on our knees and then uh, do do a hinge where you bring your bottom all the way down to your heels and then you come up to this extended position where you're really doing very, very similar. You've now eliminated significant part of the knees and 100 percent of the ankles and feet and toes. So now do you see the same imbalance? And sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. But by deduction, you know now that it is not in particular areas, or it is in others. So uh, then we have to look, you know, ideally you could look at the same pattern in a, you know, where the spine is suspended. So maybe it's in a quadruped position and, you know, do, do you still see the same imbalance? Uh, and then can we look at that pattern in a supported position, meaning you're on your back or because the different positions or the different movements, rather are going to lend to different positions. But I think it's important before we comment on on, you know, where, where what's the thought process of what do you do about that? Like, is it real in the first place? Uh, because, you know, if you're going to make a statement, well, this is where it is. Well, how come it's not in this position, but it is in this position? And the answer to that question is because that imbalance is motoric. The imbalance is not that the contractile tissue is deviant or insufficient on one side. It's because they're, quote unquote, just doing it wrong, which is a very, very normal consequence of the recovery process. But if you see it across the board in every position possible uh, and you've looked at it body weight, you've looked at it with X load, you've looked at it with X plus one load, you're looking for as many reasons to say that this, this imbalance is just because they have a motor skill that was very, very productive for them at one point, but is no longer productive for them. And that way you can apply the approach of, number one, training the contractile tissue, if that's what you see, or applying stressors that are more motor learning based. And I think there's a lot lot of... um, uh, success that isn't had because number one, we're not looking, we're just, we're just excited about what the force plate tells us, uh, number one, uh, or you're, you're applying the wrong stress. You're, you're applying, you know, for the wrong situation where we're applying a contractile solution when it's really a motoric, uh, solution. Uh, and so, so I think uh, when it comes to these asymmetries, let's see, like, What's driving this asymmetry? It, I, I, we're always going to go back to the force plate because that's probably the most carryover, a.k.a. the most functional uh, examination of something that we believe in and we value. But that doesn't always mean that's where the solution comes from. And that's part of the, this uh, uh, keen, keen movement uh, e- evaluation. So, and then the other thing too to consider with these asymmetries, we we are allowed to be asymmetrical. Like this is not a uh, an end of the world. Like there's plenty. Like I, I don't know what the data is on specific uh, situations, but you know, where 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 are we looking at healthy, you know, ass kickers, guys that are jumping over buildings and kicking ass. And what, what is their acceptable level of asymmetry? And when you have that population, how many of them have incredibly, exceedingly high amounts of fitness that uh, is, is a very adequate compensator for this allegedly important asymmetry? So I've given you a little window of why we need to look to look more than just movement so, uh, and how, how we would look at movement uh, in... in you know you got if you see something wrong you don't you're not the the examination is not over we have to look at that in a, as many different layers as possible to try to break up is this a joint issue? is this a motor issue or is this a frank contractile strength uh, power rate of force development whatever it is They they're all gonna look the same at some point and that's why we strip it back and strip it back
1: no I really like that it's I guess why I ask is the ways I've seen it is Some people go, "Oh, they just need to get stronger, and it'll sort itself out." Um, and other people say, "Oh, you know, they re- need to relearn movement patterns and and the movement and things like that." And and I guess sometimes you've applied one and it has worked, and you think, "Yeah, well, they they were right." But then other times it hasn't, so it always it goes back to that assessment first, I guess. And and you, you answer that people long. are
0: always people are always going to remember when they were right. No, it's just human yeah. nature, yeah. myself included. We don't, we don't uh, well, I see the results. Okay, like you, you're not allowed to tell me how great your techniques are until you show me every single situation and you have to tell me when it didn't work. Like People don't talk about their failures. Yeah, uh, And I think that's very, very important. But the reality is that there's going to be times that both... Evaluation. So, that, so one of them is, is undefeated. And the other one will be you know never win, so that's uh i think uh, I think that's they're both right there's It's not like you can't be one, yeah. but to to only to only use one type of evaluation to you know maybe they were just having a bad day day you know that that's uh, um, you know and that falls into another level of 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 evaluation. so when we look at at any type of musculoskeletal, whether we look at output or we look at movement. You know, if they were in some kind of, if we use some of our monitoring methods, you know, but I'd like to see that as part of part of that that study. And now, you next thing you know, you got like eighteen different variables, and you can't do the study anymore. And that's why getting to these solutions becomes very very heuristic. And, and in my in my mind,
1: yeah, no, I th- you're definitely right there in terms of it could be a bad day, or you know, there could be any number of reasons why they're showing that I've uh, seen an example in in sport where they've tested on a, a Nordic uh, machine. I won't say the brand or anything, but where they test the the force production uh, left and right for hamstrings, and there was a big imbalance. Um, and you know, did a full warm up and some um, explosive prowler work. Came back and tested it, and the the imbalance was gone. It was for whatever they just weren't fired up on that one that one hamstring at that time. You know, so it's it's all gonna be taken with a pinch of salt, yeah. isn't it? So um so yeah,
0: that's, that's very important what you just described very important
1: um i know you've got a uh kettlebell specific uh training equals rehab product um and we we've spoken before where renegade about how good and effective kettlebells can be now how, how do you use them with your clients and what do you think the benefits of them are
0: um i mean the 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 thing we just put out is really you know i i got to a point where um i think sometimes uh people are, are uh, they, they they don't give me a chance to remember like where i came from like i just like i'm just a coach like i'm just a therapist I, i'm not this uh untouchable you know no nah, it's beneath me so a buddy of mine asked uh, um do you know anybody that can come do a uh brush up uh for kettlebell uh te- technique for for the staff and and i'm like hell i'll, I'll do it just let me film it and they're like, oh my God, I, I didn't think you would do that, and that kind of hit me a little bit. Like, I, 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 I don't mind, you know, and 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 I think if people actually had eyes on what I do, they'd be very surprised at the uh, at some of the things that I that I still do and really enjoy doing. But uh, so so it's it's really uh, I got into it and I started to develop some thoughts because at least in the general fitness space, but also elite sport because they're really not different in terms of exercises and maybe the intensities and and the power output of course is different. Kettlebells are executed very poorly. Like this is uh, the reality is unless you put one in each hand and go for a walk, you really can't take it off the rack and just, you know, do it perfectly uh, or close to perfect. There is some level of coaching and you know, it's like, oh, this thing. Oh, you grab it here, you lift it, and you, you see people do curls with kettlebells. It's ridiculous. So I found that, like, people were, like, like they, they do it wrong. And then, at least in America, the, the, uh, the, the certification, you know, the biggest brands, you know, like, they kind of fall off the, the tracks a little bit over the last couple years. And I thought, like, okay, I, I have nothing against anybody as a person. I'm going to show you my way. And I learned the same places, but it's like you kind of, when you, ha- when you start to develop your own thoughts, if you are representing this other brand, you can't do it your way. You have to do it their way. And I, th- I think, I think my way is better. I would love for someone else to decide, like, look, here's my way, here's this other person's way, you know? And that's where we try to, to coach things a little bit differently than how a lot of other people had been exposed to it. And we also use the movement screening or movement evaluation concept where maybe people are doing these kettlebell techniques inefficiently because their joints can't even get into the right positions to absorb and adapt to stress. And, and we looked at a couple basic movements, and we started to break down. We didn't do any of the movement testing, but we just talked about, okay, if we're going to do a goblet squat, like what do you need? Like Do you need this? Do you need this? Do you need shoulder mobility? No, you're holding the thing with your arms down by your side it'd be great if you did have shoulder mobility, but you could still execute the goblet squat perfectly if you didn't. So we did that for every move. And then it was just me coaching. And that was what I wanted people to see too, because it's not just the way it's also kettle. It was also like the way I was communicating and, and yeah, this was probably, this was probably at least a middle or a middle up group of general fitness folks. And Uh, the, the, many of them had had some of this significant uh, kettlebell training. And I said, look, this is just a new way. This is just a, and and in my mind, it's not really new or different, but if you're only going to apply an approach that you learn from one place and the way they teach it is like, this is the only way to do it. And you're not allowed to do it any other way, or you're a bad person, which is unfortunately how, how it appears to be, uh. You know, then I, I, I just like I, I talked a lot about the man behind the curtain, you know, from from Wizard of Oz. And I'm like, OK, hey, guys, hey, st- hit stop. We're going to break the fourth wall. And like the reason I just said that is because of this. And it had nothing to do with kettlebells. It just had to do with coaching and how you try to create a connection or create emotion to get somebody to do the right thing and create analogies. And, and I wanted to take that to, uh, opportunity. To, to, show a lot of those things, uh, as well. So that was it. But look, if, if, uh, uh, I, I, I might make it into a certification, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, it, it and, and add other movements and add some kind of credentialing, uh, process since it seems like in my mind, the kettlebell stuff is real stale. Uh, it hasn't changed and you just see a lot of really, really good people, uh, disassociating themselves from these commercial brands. Because I'm just me. I don't I don't have to I don't have to be beholden to someone else's uh, business. And, and but to me, it'll never only be about kettlebells. It'll be about can your joints get into the right positions to absorb and adapt to stress? And how can you create uh, using what we know from the motor learning literature uh, to create a coaching environment that gets people to do things as efficiently as possible, but also as quickly as possible and those are the things that i i i, I tried to to break out in the uh t equals r kettlebells uh, uh product
1: cool And another question uh we've got that we ask all the guests on the podcast is what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach
0: oh uh, that's a that's loaded because it, it's um uh, yeah like it gets, there's a lot of a lot of things that someone of experience and someone who's uh Self-aware uh, and has failed a whole lot. To, that can tell you. Um, I would say uh, like every every situation is an is an opportunity to get better. And if you can if you can show up, you know, with to to this journey of, of your coaching or or therapy process, that it, it's not all going to be perfect you know, the, all the time, and and that's okay. Like you're allowed to take L's then, uh, you'll, you'll be fine. Yeah uh, it, it's cause that was kind of my situation where maybe I started off with a little silver spoon in my mouth where I graduated physical therapy school and walked into the NBA and I'm, I'm like 21 years old and I'm thinking this is what's going to be the rest of my life. And, and I, and I was challenged to, uh, to accept that, that it wasn't. So I think if you can go in knowing that look, not everything's going to work out perfectly, sometimes people are going to get hurt. Sometimes you're going to lose jobs. Sometimes relationships aren't going to finish the way they started and, and you understand that that is okay. And there'll just be another hill that you'll climb up even easier Then, um, then, then I, then, then I think it'll be, uh, you'll probably have a, a pretty, a pretty good go at it. Cool,
1: cool. And are there any, uh, books or resources you recommend? And obviously you can, you can plug some of your own.
0: Well, all, all of mine are the, are the best. That, that's all. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But before I plug, cause you know, I'm not, I'm, I, I, people get, they kill me. Like I'm not a good marketer, even though other people think that's all I do, which is really annoying. But, um, but the best book is the one that speaks to your failure. So whatever I tell people when it comes to like a seminar or a book, like, Hey, what should I get next? What was your last failure? And there's two things that are I'm really getting at. Number one, can you admit your failures? Like, so if you failed at uh, a clinical situation, we're like, yeah, like the last three necks I had were like, I, I couldn't help them. And, and I'm like, okay, we'll go buy a book about treating the cervical spine. Um, you know, I, I'm having trouble like this, this, and this. Okay. So get a book on, on the relationships or, or something like that. So the, whenever the, the, the best resource is the one that is going to speak to your most recent failure. That's number uh, that That's because uh, you know, look, there's uh, books and, and, and uh things of the of the sort that that are going to be uh of value and then my stuff is uh you know the the, the three they're no longer dvds because of course no one no one uh no one watches dvds <laughs> but they're all at uh at my website com. and and we started a streaming service so we put those three which are like i think the first one is probably like 20 hours uh and we put them all there so it's all just log in and and you can get all of them. And and it's kind of a story of what has influenced me uh, over basically a 10 year period. Um, I think there was one for every maybe three and a half, four years, depending on how it went. Uh, And that's also where the kettlebell is. And uh, I do have a book, but I don't think every time I go to Amazon, it's not, it's not a, it's not there. It was meant for like um, middle school age health class anyway. Uh, so there's no book, but, uh, those, those videos, um, really explain a lot of philosophy and, uh, you know, get into the sub layers of some of the things that we talked about. Cause we talked Cause for, for a talk like this, to get into specific things, you didn't ask specific questions. You asked very global, uh, uh blue sky questions. So I tried to answer them in that and, and my DVDs or my videos, uh, go, go significantly deeper. And that's where you do see techniques. You do see some of what, what exactly are those biological resources, which is in uh, T equals R three. Uh, and some of these, uh, other, other things that, that I talk a lot about and have a lot of favor for.
1: Cool. And, and lastly, Charlie, where can people learn more about you? So char- charlieweingroff.com
0: is, is uh, the website. And that's where, uh, all the, all the social media vlogs, the everything, everything is there. And it's, always, it's, it's funny, man. I, I find something that I wrote like eight years ago. I'm like, wow, like, this is actually still pretty close to, uh, to what I would say now. Um, social media is on Twitter, CWagon75 because the nickname I got in high school was Chuck Wagon, and uh, CH Weingroff on, on, uh, on Instagram. And I'm pretty sure Instagram goes to the website too. So charlieweingroff.com, you'll find, find most of everything.
1: Cool, and of course we'll share all the links to those in the show notes. But uh, Charlie's it been great. Great talking to you. Um, you know, tons of tons of good information. Really good to sort of talk about your philosophy and pick your brains. So thanks for that, um, all right. and, and all the best for the future.
0: All right, man. Well done. Thank you.
1: Cheers. Great stuff. Thank you, Charlie, for giving us an insight into your philosophy um, and your work uh, with with your athletes and covering spanning both strength coach and uh, physical therapist um yeah ton, tons of great uh, information there i'm sure you got tons of that guys uh in the meantime more podcasts on the way so please subscribe to us on soundcloud stitcher itunes tune spotify whatever you use for your podcasts and of course keep checking us out on social media uh, and of course at rugbyrenegade.com. until next time Thanks for
0: listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, Renegade. Building, building machines. machines.